This is Constantly Curious. Hi, folks. I'm your host, Lindsay Potter, and I'm grateful to have the privilege of taking you, our listeners, on a 30-minute or so escape from your day to learn from incredible entrepreneurs who are in pursuit of turning their dreams into reality. Each episode, we take a peek into the mind of people sharing their stories of wins, challenges, and the invaluable lessons they learn while building their businesses. In today's episode, I sat down with Rachel Precious, founder-owner of Precious Oysters Raw Bar, based right here in Southern Connecticut. Precious Oysters Raw Bar Catering is a reflection of everything Rachel Precious is passionate about. Conservation and sustainability, the ocean, working with her hands, fresh food, and farming. To quote Rachel, the world is your oyster, but you still have to shuck it. Those are words to live by. I'm so excited for you to hear Rachel's story, so let's just dive right in. Ooh, but before we dig in, we have a word from our sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur, solopreneur, freelancer, 1099 contractor, or self-employed? Do you need a little extra help to stay on top of your finances? 1099 Accountant provides affordable online bookkeeping, accounting, and tax services to individuals in New York City and across the tri-state area. Hiring Rick and his team will free you the space to do what you do best, run your business. I'll be the first to tell you that Rick is more than just an online bookkeeping service. He's a financial coach. And as a coach myself, I love a coach. I'm an entrepreneur and I've utilized Rick and his team's services for years. Whether it be for bookkeeping or financial coaching, they are here to help you thrive in your business. You can find 1099 Accountant online at 1099accountant.com. Hi, Rachel Precious, owner and founder of Precious Oysters Raw Bar Catering. Uh, I'm based in Westport. I'm a Westport native and I create boutique niche raw bars, oyster raw bars specifically, uh, for private events around Fairfield County and the tri-state area. And uh, my background is in oyster farming. And before that, I was a has lots of different things, but specifically, I was also um, I was a wedding planner at one point in time. So I put my background of wedding planning together with my experience in oyster farming to create beautiful raw bar experiences. Uh, so you're born and raised in Westport, Connecticut, which is just a little bit north of where I am here in Greenwich. And take us back now to when you started oyster farming. I know your background is colorful as is mine. We've done so many jobs. We need to start doing a podcast episode on past lives. But uh, but it all leads to you're not starting your business from scratch. You're starting from experience. So if you could just start us off with where you were in oyster farming and how you got into that business, because I know you were also doing some roofing at one point. <laughs> one of the many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so to back up a little bit, I was actually born in Ireland and oh. then moved from Ireland to Texas and then New York and then landed in Westport. But oh, my formative wow. years were here in Westport. Cool. Yeah. So I've moved around quite a bit. What part of um, Ireland? Dublin. I was actually born in the oldest hospital in Dublin. The oh, how so, cool is that? Um, yeah. I used to go back every summer. People are just so nice. Like they just People. don't stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the oyster farming. So... Where do, I, where do I start? So I was living in New York City, as I feel like most people from the Fairfield County area, they do, they give it a shot at least once in their life, trying the whole New York hustle. I lasted um, four months. I was like, get me out of here. I love I the city, but I, I don't love living there. Yeah. I was um, just shy of two years. And 
you know, I love to go back to visit and to play, but not to live. I just, I need my quiet space and all that. So, um, yeah, I spent just about two years there. And while I was there, I did everything from, I was a server. I was a really terrible server. (laughs) I think everyone needs the experience of serving, of waiting tables and bartending or bar backing, because you really have to have that customer service experience at one point in your life to realize how some people are really kind and some just aren't. And you just have to let it go. And to learn what goes, you know, I'm standing there taking an order, but I'm hearing the kitchen bell going. I'm here. I'm like, oh, what's the special again? And people, it's like the multitasking mm-hmm. is, I have such crazy respect for people in the food service industry. So, um, tried doing that. It wasn't my strong, my strong point. Uh, I was a nanny. I worked for a nonprofit. Um, I did residential construction for a little while. And so that's kind of where the story starts. I was doing construction at night. And then during the day, I was working as a wedding planner for a tavern on the green and be different. You know, I'd show up to work at my computer in the morning or to meet with a bride and I'd have like grout under my hair <laughs> from doing a shower the night before or something <laughs> like that. And it just, um, cause you know, there's so much in New York, so much to do, so much to learn and see and experience that I was doing it all at the same time. So, yeah. okay, so you were, you were in the construction slash wedding planning <laughs> they naturally go together right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then um i just i just had one of those typical new york moments where you wake up and you're just like what am i doing with my life here in new york city the constant grind the noise the people the, the money constantly going out for rent and subway it's just uh it was just too much and then so i did what i always do and i went on i went on craigslist to see what else is out there and um I found an ad for a deckhand and an oyster boat in Stanford. And I'm like, okay, so I could be outside in a boat all day. I can grow food. So I used to, growing up, like high school and college, my, my jobs were always working in farming. So vineyards, uh, herb farming, vegetable farming. I just love being outside and getting my hands dirty. So I'm like, oh, cool. I can go back to growing food. I'll be on a boat, work on my tan. And <laughs> I'm like, this is great. So, so you took that job in Stanford. Yeah, I sent them my resume, my cover letter, all these references, and they were like, "You speak English, awesome, you're hired." <laughs> and oh, it turns out you went to college. Do you want to be our operations manager? And I'm like, "Do I have to know anything?" And they were like, <laughs> "Show up on time. We'll go from there." So and this was in Stanford, Connecticut. Yeah, Stella Mar was the oyster company. Okay, and, and you moved so- back out here. Yeah, because I thought for a second, I was like, I could stay in New York with all my friends and the New York life and then just, you know, commute to Stanford. I was like, or I could move home to Westport, save some money, have a much shorter commute. Uh, So that's what I did. Um, Ended up getting a little apartment in Norwalk, actually, and then uh, doing that commute. So yeah, I showed up on time that first day and then I was there. Well, there, I meaning like in the oyster farming world for about five years or so after that. So within the five years, I bopped around to a couple of different farms. Uh, Stella and, and what Palmer. is, sorry, um, what does oyster farming entail? Like, what <laughs> is oyster farming? I've never been to an oyster farm. And so I would love for you to paint the picture of what an oyster farm looks like, how it functions. Um, really, again, back to that education around where the oyster starts its life cycle. Whenever people ask that, I ask them, how much time do you have? Because this is, <laughs> you could do a, like a course on this. In fact, I am doing a course uh, an Oyster Master Guild, it's called. It's like an oh, Oyster Smollier cool. sort of course. It's starting in August. But Oh, that's um, so exciting. Well, well, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, so for sure. It's like whatever, I, whatever I know now, I'm about, I'm about to learn so much more. I'm super excited. Um, but when it comes to oyster farming, there are so many different methods of farming. 
but kind of the way I summarize it to people is it's it's like ranching. So people think farming, they think a contained water system on land with um, you know lots of runoff or pollution. Like people have somewhat negative um, perceptions of what uh, what fish farming. So oysters, they think of as fish farming, which has some, you know, pros and cons, but then they think, oh, well, if it's in the open water and it's wild caught oysters, then it's also bad because they think of like shrimp harvesting or shrimp, um, you know, these big nets and they're ripping up the ocean floor. It's really not that. So it's like we're farming in the open water. So there are beds that are um, demarcated, like you might see those little flags out in the open water. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where the beds are. And so basically there's two kinds of oyster farming. There's um, or two kinds of ways of growing oysters, bottom culture and off bottom culture. Okay. So bottom culture is kind of the old school way of doing it. And not many farmers do it anymore. The oysters are grown right on the ocean floor. Um, just sitting there. How, how do they keep them down there? I mean, <laughs> shallow water? Um, depends. Some farms are intertidal. So the, the oysters are actually exposed during the day to the, to the open air and the sun and all that. Other farms, they grow the oysters like 30 feet deep and they're, they're never exposed to the, to the water, to the air. Right. Um, wow. So yeah, they sort of just sit in their beds and they're harvested using a dredge. So it's a little like, it's like a basket with teeth on it that scoops them up. Okay. Um, so that's bottom culture. Then off bottom culture is when the oysters are grown suspended in the water column. So they're either on these long lines or they're raised in bags or trays or cages. And um, those, those, they create two different kinds of oysters. So the ones that are bottom culture, they very much take on their surrounding environment. They get like other shells on them. They get like uh, really big beefy shells, different colors because they're sitting right in the ocean floor in the sediment, right? Right. right. Off bottom culture, they're, I kind of, I think of them like boutique oysters. They're all very uniform and pretty and, um, but they sort of just sit there in these trays or uh, cages or bags. So the shells sometimes can be a little more brittle because they're not being tossed around by waves or preyed upon. They're just sitting, sitting pretty. Those so, <laughs> are the oysters. Yeah, exactly. And are, are the size, does that affect the size of the actual meat of the oyster, whether they're grown on the ocean floor or in suspended uh, um, beds? Depends. So the, the size of the meat and the thickness of the shell and a lot of qualities of the oysters can be uh, affected by how they're handled. So when they're on the ocean floor, they're being tossed around by waves. And like I said, there's predators. They have to get a much beefier shell. Right. And sometimes in that process, they produce thicker meat, fatter meat. Um, when they're sitting there in the in the cages and trays and things, they have to be tum- what's called tumbled. So they're, they're pulled out of their gear uh, every sometimes every week, sometimes every couple of weeks, sometimes just once in a while, depending on the farmer. They're pulled mm-hmm. out of the gear and they're put into this machine. It's either like a round, like tubular thing. Everyone's got their own machine uh, design, but essentially it's a machine that tumbles the oysters or shakes them up. And it kind of chips off the delicate edges of the, oy- of the oyster and forms, um, like by stressing them like that, they will also produce thicker shells. So... <laughs> That's cool. We have a big compost bin. I, I'm part of a community garden and we have this giant compost bins that when you add to them, you turn the bin so that everything gets mixed up. And uh, it, similarly, obviously, it's not chipping away and we're not replanting things, but that that's how all of the things that are going in become eventually the mulch. And it's really cool yeah. process. It's a cool process to be a part of. Um, so what types of oysters, and I might be jumping ahead here, are grown here in Southern Connecticut? Mm-hmm. So every oyster on the East Coast from Maine down to Florida is technically the same species. Uh, it's called Crassostrea 
across Australia, Virginica. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then where it's grown, how it's grown, how it's harvested and handled, all these different um, factors come together and create different varieties. Right. So um, you've got Blue Points, you've got Well Fleets, there's PEIs, Prince Edward Island. Um, and actually, I've come to find that there's varieties within varieties. So for example, Blue Points, that's what we have here in Connecticut. Right. And um, Blue Points are known for being a bit fatter, beefier, bigger, and more briny than other varieties. But then depending where you are in Connecticut, so for example, Norwalk Blue Points, they're grown in much more brackish water. It's brackish meaning where fresh water and salt water mixes together. Right. So Norwalk oysters grown in brackish water will be less briny or salty than Blue Points grown up in Mystic, where Mystic's right at the mouth of the Long Island Sound, so a lot more salty ocean water coming in. So blue points, but one is much brinier than the other. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. When people say they don't like blue points, I'm like, well, that's funny because you just ate one. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know where your blue points come from. Right. And so actually, sometimes I'll do events where I bring several different kinds of blue points. I'll bring like Cops Island, Stella Mar, Mystics, Stratfords, and they'll all actually look sort of different and taste slightly different. And it's a fun way to to educate, I guess. Yeah. And you can blind taste test yourself if you then you will really know which blue points you like the best. Exactly. I didn't know that there were that many varieties just oh. along the coast. That's crazy. Just along yeah. the Connecticut shoreline. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Um, okay, so now we're back in Stanford. Sorry, I'm, I'm timelining. And and you're working at the farm. So you were five years there. And then well, five years in the industry. So I was like a year at Stella Mar, then I was in Porchester at um farming, yeah. Yeah, Atlanta clam farms. So actually, I did um, a brief stint doing more clams than oysters. And then I went to... Are they grown similarly? Totally different. Okay. Um, with the clam stuff, it, that was almost like not really farming. That was more just wild caught. So um, without getting too technical, uh, clams grow in the mud. And right. so a totally different growing process than oysters, which sit on top of the mud and right. set it. Yeah, I've, I've been clamming before, but uh, never, that's why the oyster conversation is so fascinating because every time I go out to eat oysters, which isn't as often as I'd like, but uh, I, I'm learning more and so curious about the process. Um, so here you are telling us. Yeah, so there's Atlantic clam farms that I went up to... Um, Hummock Island in Westport, and then I ended up at Cops Island in Norwalk. Right. And that's where I was there for about two years. And then then COVID hit. <laughs> oh, COVID. The story goes from there. So. Well, COVID is the reason why we're on this podcast right now. I wouldn't have started it without COVID hitting. And I think that with every storm comes a rainbow, or for lack of better uh, analogy, something good always comes out of something not so great. And uh, everyone that has been on this podcast has had some sort of a pivot, actually, for the most part, within the past three years. So when did you decide and how did you decide, I'm going to use my last name and start a company because it sounds so great. And it's so true. Precious oysters. They are precious. Thanks. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, I know your podcast is a lot about the kind of career and work side of people's stories, right? And so it I have been to date now. Yeah. And so my first oyster job in Stanford, I remember, I think I was there for maybe a month or so. And actually I'd never, I'd never had an oyster before I started that job. <laughs> I'd never had one. I thought they were so gross. <laughs> but again, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on a boat and grow food and like be back in Connecticut. Of course I'll do this. Oysters. Sure. Whatever. So I, I, I read something recently on the internet that was like, 
who was the first person? Can you imagine that first person that ate an oyster? Opened that thing up like, yeah, let's eat this. This looks good. (laughs) But I'm on the boat one day and the sun was coming up over the water and my boss reached in the water and pulled out an oyster that we had just spent all this time growing. And he hands me this funny looking thing. It looked almost like a flathead screwdriver. And and he was like, all right, shuck that, shuck that oyster. I'm like, do what with what? Shuck the oyster. Like, and he just took it from me and he's like, give me that. And he, what it was, was a shucking knife that he'd given me. And I'm like, I don't know what this thing is. And he, he opened the oyster right there in front of me and I ate it. And I'm like, this is so cool. I just ate this thing, which I've never had before. It was still a bit of an experience. When you, when you don't know what to expect, an oyster can be a little jarring. (laughs) But I'm like, what an awesome experience. I thought how cool it would be if maybe someday I could do that for people. Shock mm-hmm. oysters, but also tell them the story about the sun coming up and all the time we spent, you know, out in the rain and the snow and the wind growing those oysters that then are there in front of them at their wedding or birthday. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, without yeah. it, how would we how would we have such amazing food that we do? Right. Uh, I thought? love that pivot moment, that pivotal moment in your story. Right. But then I thought to myself, I was, I was like, I don't know how to run a company, like start my own business. That's crazy. <laughs> so I just like put the idea in the back of my, heart, my mind and just forged ahead with the farming thing. But then over the course of the next five years, I started getting better at shucking. And I started doing it for friends and family just for free, like for fun and for free. I would just bring a box of oysters to a party and shuck them. And then one time I was out somewhere, maybe at a farmer's market and somebody's like, hey, I heard you shuck oysters. I'm having a, a party. Any chance you can come by? And do you know anybody that could like do a raw bar? And I was like, do I know anybody that could do? Well, I can shuck. I used to be a wedding planner, so I know how to throw parties. Yes, yes. In fact, I do know somebody that could do a raw bar for you. That's someone's me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was... Was this, um, was this like after 2020 or before? This was uh, 2000, end of, end of 2008, uh, 2018. Okay, because I think that I met you for the first time at OG Social, you when you were shocking, right. that was just in 2019 or 20, maybe? Uh, that was 20, um, summer 20. Okay, okay. So yeah, end of fall, winter of 2018 is when I did my first gig where somebody gave me like a $100 bill in exchange for two hours of me shocking a couple hundred dollars. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, I was this like, oh, I got $100, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so that was 2018. 2019, I had a couple... A few more gigs. Again, mostly friends of friends, a couple bucks here and there. And I'm like, oh, this is a thing I could do. But I was still working full time at the farm. Right. During the day. Um, so farming full time, a couple of gigs here and there. And then 2020 was coming around. And people, I had a couple actually like big events booked. I'm like, this is cool. This is my year. I'm do it. And then COVID. <laughs> so, so COVID hit. I lost my farm job. I lost all my catering gigs. I'm like, I guess I'll go into roofing. You just <laughs> that right. I knew the roofing came in there yeah. somewhere. I just thought I and oh. I had forgotten that you had done time doing some residential construction. But I thought, look at this girl, she's such a badass out there roofing and like yeah. so because I also write, I write for magazines, I do website content, things like that. So this guy, I was doing his website for his roofing company. And he's like, okay. Hey, I heard you're looking for work. You want to come jump on a roof? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm bored. <laughs> well, get me out of here. So I did roofing for just shy of a year, and then a little more construction, like general construction stuff and carpentry, and then such a great skill set to have in life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just I love seeing how things work and how things come yes. together and all that. So then May or spring of 2021, um, the restrictions got lifted, and it was like the floodgates opened up. Emails, phone calls, DMs, texts, like, "Hey, we're having all these parties. Can you can you come shop?" <laughs> 
So I was like, okay, I guess this is, if I'm ever going to like try to give my business, like try to turn the shucking thing into a business, mm-hmm. this, I have to like do it now or it's not, it's not going to happen. So I put the hammer down, I put the, you know, took the knee pads off <laughs> and left the construction world behind and gave it a shot. And summer of 2021 was just skyrocketed. Crazy. Since then, my sales have doubled every year. Just uh, I'm going into my... So now I'm in my third season. So so now do you have people helping Chuck? I mean, you really... You do all of the work. It's You're not just a pretty face who shows up and, and has this beautiful raw bar and you know about oysters. You're there shucking and serving and educating and and cleaning. And I love how you recycle the oyster shells. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. And that might segue us into the conservation conversation. But uh, so do you have people helping you now? I'm just starting to branch out over the past year or so. I've had friends jump in and help out and they've been just an absolute lifesaver. Um, You know, I can teach anybody how to shuck. Um, I can teach this mug how to shuck, (laughs) but it's more about What's, do you have personality? Are you excited to be here? Can can I re- can I rely on you? Right. Will you show up on time? Are you presentable? So, so my friends have jumped in to help out, and they've just been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now this year, I do have a couple people that I've been working into my rotation as more formal uh, employees. But I'm learning now what the, what the term employees has like actual legal. Like I'm learning all yeah. about W9s, 1099s, W2s, all these different yeah. W words. And it's just crazy. <laughs> so I don't know if there yeah, is. And that's a, another piece of owning your own business. Um, I started mine just when COVID hit as a pivot from doing the marketing that I was doing and realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much about running a business that I never had to do as an employee. And I was always working for startups for the most part over the past 10 years of my life. But it gave me such respect for the people that started the companies that I work for and the things that they were doing behind the scene, especially when it come, came to finances, which is not my strength personally, but uh, but all of the insurance and taxes and there's, the, the list goes on and on. But in the same breath, and I don't want to scare anyone from starting their own business, I actually want to get them excited about it if that's something they're thinking about, because there's so much joy and pride that goes along with having your own thing. Like, I want to work from any, I'm in my dining room right now. You know, I, I, I'm home when my kids get home, which was a goal for me. And, and I'm learning so much every day. Oh and I'm truly curious about everything, but I am also learning so much every day, learning what a strength is. And, and maybe if it's a weakness, then I can find someone to help me fill that, you know? Um, so I have to do, I have to do a shameless plug. Please. Um, I'm learning every day but I've learned so much because of this group, the Connecticut Women's Business Development Council. It's a long, it's a bit of a mouthful, but the CTWBDC is okay. absolutely incredible. Um, I actually just got a $10,000 grant from them. Um, oh, that's it, amazing. I, you've told yeah. me about this before. I know in our pre-interview, you mentioned it. Uh, and I tell everybody, please yeah. go to the WBDC. It is um, an it's the Connecticut Women's Business Development Council. Council, okay, cool. And so it is just a plethora, a nonstop, just, just resource, free counseling, advising, classes, workshops. Um, for women in business. For women in business, yeah. Wow. So the CTWBDC, okay. um, I have... I'll link this in the notes as well, obviously, but... Uh, so I've got an advisor. Congratulations on a grant. Thanks. Yeah, I've got an advisor, uh, Carol Cheswick. I meet with her all the time and just let her know where I'm at with my business, what I need help with, and she connects me to other people. 
Um, and I ended up taking a nine week course about writing a business plan, which I'm like, can I just do something and get money for it? Right. <laughs> That's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> Much more. So this nine week course taught me all about how to write a business plan, which entails like in doing a business plan, you learn about marketing, you learn about your, your competition, um, about projections. Like there's so much that goes into writing a business plan. Um, and like, that's, that's offered within the council. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That one, there I might be a small fee for that, but if not, um, worth it. Another class. Oh, so worth it. Oh my gosh. So in doing that class, I wrote a business plan. And once I had the business plan, I was able to apply for this grant and I got $10,000 to use towards buying a refrigerator and an ice machine. Oh, that's incredible. Congratulations. It turns out the most important aspect of my raw bar business is ice. I yes. Know. And lots of ice. Yes. And I'm sure you're serving mostly in the summer months. I mean, I'm sure you serve mm-hmm. in the winter as well, but keeping everything cold and on ice is, yeah. especially days like today here in Connecticut, it's been 90 degrees with 90% humidity. It's It's been yep. warm out there. <laughs> A little warm to say. <laughs> so temperature control is, is extremely, it's the most important um, factor in what I do. Making sure that the oysters are below uh, 42 degrees is... Okay. Because if they get hot, if they get warmer than that, then there's bacteria that can reproduce. And that's what makes you sick. Right. So you've got to stay super cold. Um, and so it is so, refrigeration like with you on a truck or how, how does that work? So what's been yeah. great, what's allowed me to grow so much so quickly is that I have no overhead, meaning I've got no brick and mortar space. Right. I do everything from the back of my pickup truck. I've just got coolers upon coolers upon coolers. People are like, awesome. do you go to the gym? I'm like, no, I just lift coolers. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's the same. It's the same. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> really. Is. So um it's you know, it's a great selling point for my raw bars that everything is super fresh. But that's because it legally has to be. I have to buy everything day of. I can't right. store anything. That's a huge liability to get people sick from eating yeah. oysters. Hundred yeah. percent. So it means although even though it's great, things are super fresh, it's very inefficient for, for my business. I spend a lot of time driving around. I have to throw away oysters that aren't eaten. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of inefficiencies. So just from a business point of view, learning it's great not having overhead, but I still ultimately do have expenses that add up being the same as overhead. You know, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, um, <laughs> sorry, that's funny that you say that. It's true. Same band being the same. Yeah, wasted inventory, time, gas. Right. All the things, the things you don't think about. You write a list and it's a mile long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I know that at events that you've done, you always have some sort of a receptacle for the oyster shells that are used. So I eat an oyster. I put the shell in this, whatever it is. It's a bucket. It's a, it's a tray. And where do those shells go? Because you educate on this process at all of your events as well. Yeah. So sustainability is the pillar of my business. I say what sets me apart from other raw bar companies is that I'm super hyper-focused, like fixated on sustainability <laughs> to the point where like I spend triple the amount of money on bamboo USA made plates and napkins and things like that. But one of the biggest things I do is shell recycling. And so uh, when an oyster, when a mommy oyster loves a daddy oyster... <laughs> They get together and a baby oyster for the first few weeks of its life is floating around. It's got a little, it's called a foot, but it's kind of like a rudder that it uses to float through the water. And it's looking for something to stick to. It'll stick to a rock. It'll stick to a log or a boat, but ideally it'll stick to another oyster shell. And so once it sticks there, that's where it lives forever. And so you can get a lot of baby oysters will come and cluster on one other shell. Right. So basically, when you eat your oyster and you put the shell in my bucket, I take that bucket bucket either back to the farm or 
sometimes I go to Fairfield. I'm partners with the um, Fairfield Shellfish Commission Recycling Program. Right. And so they take these shells and they go back in the water. And then once the shells are in the water, that's where that process starts, where the babies come and stick to those shells. And what happens is they grow in these clusters all along the coastline. And they end up creating um, stabilization for preventing erosion. They break up storm surges. Like if a big wave is coming in, it'll hit these oyster beds first and break up that surge before it hits the coast, uh, the the shore. Um, Also, those clusters create homes for other marine life. So the fish and crabs can live in the crevices. And it's just so cool. So So people, the more oysters you eat, the more you're helping the environment. And that's what's so fun about what I do is it's all of my life experiences coming together around oysters. So it's conservation, it's farming, it's being on the water, it's um, small farms, small businesses, uh, working with people from all different backgrounds, all over Latin America, men, women. So um, yeah, so all these experiences come together in this little company that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but with sustainability in particular, um, one thing that I talk a lot about is my work with the Surfrider Foundation. So Surfrider is a nonprofit. It's a national nonprofit. It's been around for over 35 years, I believe. 38 yes. years. Well, I'm the chair of the Connecticut chapter. And oh, so we're an ocean awesome. conservation nonprofit. So we we advocate to protect the ocean waves and beaches. So okay. we're talking about inland waterways, beaches, offshore issues. Um, so in Connecticut, we focus a lot on plastic pollution. And that's actually how I got involved in the Surfrider Foundation I was down on the docks every day at the oyster farm. Every day I'm pulling out bags, straws, all this plastic pollution that were getting stuck in our in our pumps, in our motors. And I'm so sick of my job being 10 times harder because of all this plastic pollution. Yeah. I got involved in a beach cleanup and I'm like, this is so cool. I'm out here with people picking up garbage and I know I'm making a difference. But what's great about the Surfrider Foundation is the difference is not just, it's bigger than just doing a beach cleanup, right? Because right. you can go to the beach every day and keep picking up garbage day after day. The right. Surfrider Foundation, we work on passing legislation. So we want to turn off the tap. You know, if the bathtub's overflowing, you don't just keep mopping it up. You got to turn off the tap. Right. So we do events like beach cleanups to get the public involved, get people interested, but also ultimately to gather data. So I'll, I'll count how many straws, bottle caps, plastic bags, everything we pick up. I count that, I put it into a database, and then we wow. use that database to help pass laws. I can say, hey, Governor so-and-so, Right. We took 500 plastic bags today. We got to stop this today. change. Right. So it's like actual tangible change, but right. it's from a grassroots level. Numbers so. do matter. It, it's, uh, it's fascinating how, and we're just talking about plastics that you can see. And then there is the next level of microplastics that mm-hmm. are starting to get into everything that we eat. And I mean, it's just, it's Air, overwhelming, quite overwhelming uh, to think about. Yeah. But I'm so glad that you are doing this work. And I didn't know that about Surfrider. So that's very cool. I'm going to also link that in the show notes and read more about it myself because that's so interesting. And it comes together with what I'm doing with my oysters because if we have, if we don't have healthy oceans, we don't have healthy oysters. Right. Right. And so that's when I do my raw bars, it even says, I think it's on my website, it's it's more than just a raw bar. It's what you've been saying. It's It's an experience, right? People come up, they see me shucking. I talk to them all about how to shuck why the oysters look like this, why they taste like that. But ultimately, I'm trying to get people to care about the ocean. Okay, so the Surfrider Foundation, how long have you been working with them? About five years. Pretty much as soon as I got into oyster farming, I got into Surfrider. Cool. Um, as the secretary, volunteer coordinator, vice chair, and now I'm finally the chair. Yeah, so. Congratulations. Well, you're making a difference. And that's that's something that really matters. And also just leaving a legacy behind um, for the work that you're doing. 
Mm. You know, it's, if, if anything, you'll, you're inspiring me to learn more and hopefully we'll inspire a number of our listeners to learn more and yeah. everyone you come in contact with when you're at events, you know? It's a lot to juggle, but at the same time, I've always wanted to have a career and and spend my life doing something that, that had value and meaning to it and ultimately give back. And so I spent a lot of time pursuing careers in nonprofits and environmental uh, sectors. And I realized I can still give back and care about the environment and take care of the environment um, through what I'm doing. Yes. And still have a profitable business. Like there's, exactly. you can do both. And uh, that's a goal of mine as well. So giving back, there's nothing that feels better than giving back, in my opinion, personally. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and growing something that means something. Um, okay, awesome. So I'm trying to think of... Well, I was going to actually circle back unless you had yeah. a question. No, no, please. So we were talking before about um, my business growing and an overhead and things like that and just using coolers in the back of my truck. Um, I was I would love to be able to share something with you and your audience that nobody knows yet. That's right. Oh my gosh. I'm so, sorry. I don't even know yet. Yes, I have. Um, I've just wrapped up uh, two plus years of looking for a brick and mortar space for my business, and I've just signed a lease for a space in Norwalk. Oh, and I'm super excited! I'm so giddy <laughs> for you, like a little kid. I, just I can't even. I don't. I don't have the key yet, but I know as soon as I get that key in my hand, I'm just going to take this big, deep breath. <laughs> yeah, it's like your other and, home. Yeah, it just it's going to relieve so much anxiety, not having to worry about like constantly checking that there's enough ice in the cooler and, you know, getting down to the farm before they close or it just, there's so many people don't realize when they like, actually not many people ever push back my price point for my events. Um, so I think I'm pretty fairly priced, but one thing to consider, one thing that I hope people consider is that the price that you're seeing is reflective of so much work that you don't see. Right. The iceberg principle. You know, you're paying Ooh, whatever you here. Yeah. People, the next time someone says to me, can you just shuck? Can you just come to the party and shuck? Right. I want to freak out. What goes into what they see? First right. of all, very difficult. Shucking is not that easy. Even no, though I- gosh, I have so much respect for every time I see you or anyone else, especially you, because I just see you shucking hundreds of oysters in oh, yeah. any given night. Hundreds. The average event, the average event I'll do is like minimum two hundred oysters, and it's just it's yeah. a very manual. But it's, it's that, but while talking and smiling and making right. sure the napkins aren't messed up, right. and making sure that the tablecloth is ironed, and you know, but that's just what you see. People don't understand that all the back work of like going down to the farm, getting my coolers, cleaning them, hauling all the ice. Right. Well, that's the whole point why we're sitting here talking because I want people to understand. I want to understand. Then it's after the event. So with that shell bucket I was telling you about, that shell bucket, um, so it's just a little pail, little metal pail. But I have a sign that I put on top of it that says shells only. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised how many people I see that they look at the sign, they read it, and they'll take their napkin and jam it in that bucket. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> it's, because the thing is after the event that night no matter how late the event is I go back to the farm and I have to empty those shell buckets into these big piles and if I'm sitting there picking out napkins lemons people's nasty like that makes my job so much harder so come on people again, read again the people the work that people don't see is what happens after the event too right so, but so now with this with this space I'm super excited because I can finally get like I was saying, an ice machine, refrigerators, yes. 
And so it's going to be, for the most part, right now, just a base for my catering. Just a right. place where I can go and I can buy my oysters ahead of time and wash them and store them and like have everything just straightened away. I'm a Virgo, so... <laughs> Tell I me love- what that means. I'm a Scorpio. I don't really... I'm not... We love organization, okay. love order, schedules, but it's really hard to have the schedules and the order and all that when you're running down to a farm and trying to wash things with the hose and get them in your truck and beat yes. 90 traffic. <laughs> just like, yes, you know, you just have hair. to go with that, that ocean wave flow. So like, I'm going to so see where we're in South Norwalk. Sorry. So, um, just to wrap, I'm going to, I'm going to see just speaking of business stuff, I'm going to see my numbers start to, you know, I've been on this constant growth. Yes. And things are going to kind of plateau, which as a new business owner is going to feel kind of scary, but it's plateauing because I'm taking on overhead. Growing. I'm growing right. business in a, in a sustainable way. Before mm-hmm. it's sustainable. That straight up is like not, it's, I'm going to die. <laughs> you'll, you'll experience burnout and then it won't be fun anymore. And, no, I'm going to break my back with these coolers, literally. So well, good for you for acknowledging that you're in that space right now. Yeah. At all this extreme growth. And now it's a time of, it's not a plateau. It's a it's a holding place for the next level of growth. And you can't get to that next level without doing what you're doing. You know, yeah. investing and so, in the space. And what's great about the space is what you were asking before about where it is. It's right at the East Norwalk train station. So oh, cool. it's exit 16 off 95, but the mm-hmm. East Norwalk platform. You get off the train. Doors open. You get off the train. You're looking right at my space. Oh, neat. Yeah. So it's um, the Brim and Crown location. Okay, yeah. I don't know that. I used to work in Norwalk um, down on Water Street, but... Yeah, just um, from the corner from there. Right, okay, that's what I thought. I know yeah. Transitions. So, but what's extra exciting about this, about the space that it's it's big enough, um, it's affordable enough that I can support it with my catering, but okay. it's basically big enough that I can do my own events there, which I'm super excited about because right now I have, I'm so seasonal. Like when people yeah. stop calling me for parties, when the holiday parties end, there goes my season. Right. Space, I can throw my own parties. Right. And people can rent the space out. They can come in. They can use my space. I can provide the oysters. Like it's adding, even though I'm taking on overhead, I'm also creating so much more opportunity. That's so exciting. Um, I, I can't wait to come to an oyster class. Yeah. I'm thinking like once a month, Oysters 101, teaching people yes. to shop, maybe weekly oyster happy hours, things like that. But um, yes. Well, yeah. and oysters are, I mean, I do need to say oysters are technically an aphrodisiac. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to say night food. <laughs> it is, but I do want to add a bit of truth to that. Yes. Um, cause people That's ask, why I'm bringing it up because I figured you know the truth. Yep. People ask all the time about that. And I don't want to like burst in anyone's bubble or anything or hurt their game. But uh, typically, so oysters, they do contain um, iron, B12, zinc, all these really amazing vitamins and minerals and nutrients that help um, sperm health. Okay. <laughs> so, but also you typically have oysters with beer, wine, champagne, with alcohol, right? So it's like a whole experience. So um, maybe I, that's the aphrodisiac part. Yeah, yeah. But the oysters definitely seal the deal. Like, 100%. I'll keep telling myself that it works. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's- oh, I'm so excited for you, Rach. And, and everyone, so we haven't even said it yet, but the company is called Precious Oysters. It's obviously on Rachel's shirt. And, uh, and sh- you can find her anywhere in the tri-state. Do, how far do you travel for events? I'm actually, I'll be doing an event, a wedding this fall, um, Alexandria Bay. So like, right, like literally on the border of Canada. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Basically, if people are willing to pay a travel fee, I'll go anywhere. 
Okay, great. So that's great to know. And then people can find you online. Um, and I know you're on Instagram and your website. Where where can people find you online if they were looking to hire or learn more? Preciousoysters.com. Uh, okay. Instagram is just at preciousoysters. And I always encourage people to email me, hello at preciousoysters.com okay. with obviously bookings, but more so like you got questions about oysters? I, I got answers. I, you want to know about yeah. how they grow, what they do for the environment and all that stuff? Shoot me a question. I'd love it. They really are a magical food do i call it i mean what do you, do you call an it animal. they don't have They're a brain central nervous system but they are technically an animal yeah so cool <laughs> it's so cool uh well thank you so much for taking the time to do this i love seeing your face i love talking to you and i always learn something when we connect uh, and i hope to see you soon at an event whether you're working or not yeah thank you for having me thank you for this space to share my story and i'm always learning and i'm also constantly curious so yeah. let's see together I'm, I'm lucky to have you here thanks rach Bye. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Constantly Curious. Remember, entrepreneurship is like a roller coaster, people. It's wild, it's thrilling, and occasionally you might want to close your eyes and scream. But hey, at least you're not stuck in a cubicle, right? Until next time, stay curious.